Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Investing Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. We are super excited for today's show. We have an awesome guest, Bernard Reese. Hey, Bernard, how you doing? Doing great. Um, excited to be on the show and looking forward to sharing empowering knowledge. Good. Well, we are excited for today's topics. It's stuff that we haven't done before. After 300 and I think about 10 episodes, we're going to focus on a topic that we haven't brought to you. And that always excites us. But before we jump into that, a little more about Bernard. Bernard Reese CPA empowers individuals to optimize their finances using proactive and innovative strategies. He provides an integrated approach to tax and financial planning for real estate pros, focusing on their unique profiles and opportunities. Bernard is also the founder of 401kcheckbook.com, which gives investors direct control of their tax-sheltered funds for real estate equity and debt opportunities using checkbook control IRAs, solo 401ks, and checkbook life insurance. And he's also the founder of agentfinancial.com, which provides tax entity and financial services to real estate professionals, including real estate agents, investors, and mortgage brokers. So prior to founding Reshore, Bernard served as director of Cometrics Partners, managing an array of engagements involving financial consultant and due diligence. And he uh, advised owners of closely held middle market companies on advanced tax mitigation strategies. Well, noting Bernard that we are going to touch on due diligence uh, for basically all things tax related today, I think we're in very good hands with you. So if I've missed anything there, why don't you give us a quick overview of, of what you're doing now and then let's dive in yes so right now focus on you know by providing integrated advice which means to say uh, when people get involved in anything financial or tax related uh, it requires expertise in all related you know financial disciplines uh, in general when people go to a life insurance agent they'll get one perspective cpa they'll get a second perspective an attorney a third perspective financial advisor yet a fourth perspective and if you'd ask me i'd say none of those perspectives is actually the correct one it's not like you got to choose one of the four the objective truth uh, for any individual is going to be some blend of the four and the challenge is, well, how do you navigate that? You're not a, you know, you need to be able to interact with somebody that's got a solid grasp of every one of those areas. Uh, so in my background, you know, tech, I am a CPA. I also hold securities and insurance licenses. And as part of advising uh, owners of closely, closely held companies, um, all those things came together. Uh, so kind of being the point person for, due diligence, for tax strategy, for accounting related things. So we got to see both advise and also get incredible insight into those providers, the people that provide that kind of fragmented perspective. Uh, we'll see what those attorney, you know, may encourage what that life insurance agent will encourage financial advisor. And there are always so many different strategies uh, and you're only going to get the objective and optimal outcome um, if you deal with somebody that knows all of those things and is able to integrate them. So that is what I focus on today. Awesome. And now, since our main engagement is real estate, let's dive in. Let's talk about real estate opportunities. And, and as a real estate investor's new and seasoned 
they have to structure themselves to act accordingly within their businesses based on, on the opportunities that they're going after. So can you touch a little bit just on a point of if there's an investor here today that maybe is just starting out in their journey, what are some of the items from a due diligence standpoint they should think about when preparing to build a business as a real estate investor, agent, or other? Yes. So it will depend on, you know, what their, their profile is, but when there are certain concepts that they're looking to address from the get-go. So obviously they're looking to get their legal and tax structure in place. Uh, you know, and I'd say there's an initial, from my perspective, there's an initial structure that you need and then that structure has to evolve. Um, and then there's the actual investment side, you know, what, what kind of, what's, at the core of everything has got to be something that's going to generate profitable income. Uh, and that's a mistake that we see people doing all the time. They get so focused on what I'd call that legal and tax stuff, which again is a key component of long-term success, but it's more, I view that just as an envelope, uh, right? When you haven't got an envelope, the important thing is really what goes inside and what goes inside there is what's your business model. What's your value proposition? What are you going to be doing? And then once you identify that, you build your structure around that. Uh, too often, people are focusing on their legal and entity structure um, and not focusing enough on the core business. And I think there are a couple of factors that contribute to that. Developing a business is something that's hard to do. You've got to do the legwork yourself. It's going to be your business. Uh, setting up legal entities you can do that. That's easy. And there are enough people that are there to set things up for you and offer you structures. And people kind of get the, their focus on the easy side of things. Um, and this way, they kind of feel they're making progress. Oh, we're doing something. I'm starting my business. Uh, but they're really, they're starting a legal structure. They haven't started their business. First thing is identify your business model and then build the legal and tax structure around that. And one way that I, I and, and on that note, uh, being, I see people getting involved in structures that I think are really not optimal. They're getting things from internet-based gurus um, that are pitching things. They're paying incredible amounts of money uh, to get a structure that is not well-matched to where they're at. Uh, they're not, it's not, may not even be suboptimal. You know, I'd say that I've got, I deal with clients from a broad spectrum across the country. And you'd be amazed how many people that I have to deal with, they're three years in and they're like, Bernard, okay, I've got this structure, Nevada LLC with an S corporation and a Delaware trust. And this structure cost me $10,000 to set up, um, you know, a couple thousand, a couple of grand a year to maintain. And I'm like, okay, and how much income are you generating? And, and it's, they're, they're nowhere in their actual revenue generation. And they've got this structure in place. Uh, so I think people really got to think ahead. They get an initial structure at the beginning, use the KISS method, keep it simple, um, and have a structure that evolves. Uh, have you seen any of the same thing? You know, do you see this as well? Yeah. And you, you can think of a million different proponents, right? Where people say, I'm, a, I'm about to get started in real estate investing, but I just need to get my LLC set up for set up first. And <laughs> yeah. approach. So, okay. So we've gone down that rabbit hole, right? So when should I engage that entity? Because now I'm going to focus on my business, right? I'm going to go out there and get active and say, let's just, for simplicity, let's, we'll talk, I'm a house flipper. Let's just say I'm a house flipper, for an example. So for any house flipper out there, this is this 
we're going to go down your your path here. I'm a house flipper. I'm out there um, looking to do my first deal. I, I I find a property, start making offers, and maybe I get an offer accepted. At what point am I setting up an LLC? Yes. So an LLC and a, an LLC in itself is very simple. It's a simple entity, and I always encourage that they be used. And you should get that up as soon as you identify a deal or even prior to that. If you identify, say you've identified your market, you know where your market's going to be, get the entity set up. Because a simple LLC is not costly or time consuming and you want that to be in place as so you can move quickly. Uh, when, you, when you start running into trouble is when you either you don't know your market yet or you don't know your business. So it comes back to that. Don't do anything until you've identified your business model. But once you've identified your business model and you have a market, set up that LLC. Uh, the, because when you identify a deal and you've got to close um, and then timing is crucial, you want that in place. And the key thing to be aware of is asset protection is a local game. It's state driven. It's not driven by federal law. So you don't want a deal. And ideally, if you're going to have an asset in New York, you want a New York LLC. Um, you can have a Nevada LLC registered in New York, but why would you do that? New York is going to follow New York law. They're not going to follow Nevada law. So one of like a, I'd say a red flag, red flags when you're dealing with this entity structuring stuff is if people are doing, uh, if they say Nevada, that's a general red flag. Uh, and if they say you're going to have tax benefits by, by having your entity Nevada, that's also, that's just so wrong. Nevada is an expensive state just to have an LLC in. Your LLC expense cost for having being in, in, in Nevada is relatively high and your asset's going to be in New York. So you're going to have to either register that Nevada LLC in New York and pay New York on top of paying Nevada. Um, and your taxes are going to be wherever the asset is. So you're going to pay New York tax on any New York deal or New York asset that you have. Nevada plays no role other than the fact that they get to collect between them and their service providers. You're going to be shelling out about $1,000 per year. Other than that, um, it's completely immaterial. So in general, get the entity set up um, in the state that you're in. Um, if you see somebody hawking stuff, podcasts over the internet, um, we've got this structure, Texas series LLC, stay away because it's a Texas series LLC works in Texas. New York um, is not under any obligation to follow Texas law. And if you've got an asset in New York and there's this lawsuit, it's going to be adjudicated in New York. And New York, uh, a New York judge has no law, New York law or statute that he has to follow with regard to series LLC. He has no case law. He has no precedent. So you're, you know, he could choose to honor um, the Texas statute, but who knows? There's no history there. You're kind of rolling the dice and rolling the dice is the opposite of asset protection. Huh. So that, that leads to a great point here, right? And so we're talking about asset protection. So, you know, we have our LLCs for our different uh, asset or investment vehicles. Well, how protected am I? And let's talk about, you hear a lot about uh, piercing your corporate veil, right? And so let's, let's think of an example. Say you're, you're doing a flip on a property and 
something goes awry. Um, someone comes and trips and falls, and although it, it should be covered under insurance and you have insurance, they try and sue the LLC and then they try and sue you personally. Well, how protected am I uh, with the LLC set up? Yeah, a great question. And it's good to say that with regard to anything asset protection related, nothing is bulletproof. And so if anybody tells you they've got the bulletproof structure, um, that's just marketing hyperbole. It's not, nothing is bulletproof, uh, but it's about optimizing your structure um, so as to perhaps deter uh, forcing a settlement uh, and, and, and getting you positioned for the best outcome, but nothing is bulletproof. So it's important to understand that there are distinctions among state in, within state law about the level of protection that different LLCs will provide. And there are two sources of liability uh, that you're looking to protect from. So there is a liability flowing the way that you referred to, which is something happens on the property. Um, and then they want to go after you based on what happened at the property. Um, then you've got liability flowing the other way. That's what we called outside liability, uh, which is say that the owner of the property, the owner of the asset, the owner of the LLC uh, personally harms somebody. He's got some sort of tortious event. Um, you know, he personally injures somebody and they want to go after him and get his assets. Uh, so it flows both ways. So those are referred to as inside liability. That's liability coming from the asset that may be within the LLC, within the entity. And then there's outside liability, which is liability flowing from the LLC owner to the assets within the LLC. Uh, so if you've got something that happens to within the LLC, there you have to, it's important to distinguish between two potential sources of liability. Um, if it's something that's strictly related to the asset, uh, then you have stronger protections in place. Of course, they're always going to go after anybody. They're going to try to throw something that anything, they're going to swing at anything that moves. So they're going to, of course, name the LLC. Um, they're going to name you personally as a co-defendant. But if there, you've got an LLC, the assets in LLC, but you personally directly contributed to the injury, to the event, um, then the LLC is not really much of protection because that was you. It wasn't the asset. So many professionals, for example, uh, an LLC doesn't offer that much protection because they're providing a personal service um, and it's them providing the service. It's not directly related to some asset. So they have much limited protection. So you want to, if you're having something going on in the asset, you generally want to keep, you're hoping that's something that they can't trace to you directly. Something that happened to the asset um, and then they'll have a harder time going after your personal assets. But whatever is within the LLC is fear game. Um, and, and let me elaborate on that just a bit. I, I've encountered people that say, yeah, I've got great asset protection in place. I've got um, 15 rental properties and they're all in an LLC. Um, so like, okay, if you've got all your assets in a single LLC, you've got no asset protection. Because the concept is, it's what we, it's, when you talk about asset protection, you're really talking about segregation of liabilities. It's about putting up a fence, a wall between your assets. Uh, so if you own them all in your personal name, right? So something happens to you, right? You're liable, then go after all your assets. When you create an, a, an, 
an entity, a statutory entity, such as a corporation or an LLC, that's like a legal person. Um, and the idea is, well, they can sue that person and they can go after all the assets of that legal person. And that legal person only holds property A. If that legal person owns properties A through Z, well, they can go after all those properties. So you're looking to have limited assets within each legal entity so that there's a wall between your assets. So if something happens to asset one, there's a trip and fall there, well, they're going to go after that LLC, which owns asset one, but asset two is owned by LLC two, which is a separate person. So it, should not, it cannot get pulled in to that lawsuit. So you're looking to have the segregation of liabilities. Um, I know it's a lot of information. So what, what are you, and any questions? Good. Very good information, right? Because I have heard that a lot, right? So people are like, well, I have one LLC for all the flips I'm doing and one LLC for all, all of the, um, you know, the buying holes I'm doing. And I have uh, 20 properties in this LLC or, or 15 properties in that LLC. Well, is there some, is there some good rule of thumb? Should I, should I have a, a different asset protection for every asset I have? Excuse me, I have my bulldogs at the office today, so they're yeah. uh, <laughs> jumping no... at the bit here. So, but is there is or should I? Is there a certain rule of thumb? Should I? Can I keep each LLC to three properties, or should I have literally each specific LLC should have its own property? So there are a couple of moving parts here, but even after we address all those, it comes down to a matter of personal risk tolerance, preference, um, and your personal approach. So the other things you got to think about are what are the value of each asset? So it's not so much about the number of assets. It's about what's the value of the asset, right? If, you, if you're the value of each of your properties, if you're going is, is $50,000, so and you think, okay, I'm ready to have $100,000 of exposure within each particular LLC, well, then you can have two assets in there. Uh, but, but for if you've got another property that's 100000 worth, you know, you want to put that asset in its own LLC. So it's not so much the number of properties, it's more about what's the, the value, what's your gross you know, cumulative exposure uh, with, among those assets. Uh, that's, that's one point. The second thing is, well, what kind of liabilities do you have in those assets, right? So if you've got a million dollar asset, uh, but it's mortgaged to the bank, and the bank, you know, has a, is entitled to, you know, $800,000 of debt on it. Well, you don't have that, you may not have that much, you know, non-recourse debt on it. Then you may not have that much exposure uh, because the equity, the total equity is, is relatively low. Uh, so the asset may have a certain value, but your equity, your total exposure, your net exposure um, is far less than the asset value. And then on top of that, you got to think about, all right, obviously, you've got insurance in place. So what are your insurance limits? Do you have an umbrella insurance? So there are various, there are multiple moving parts, uh, and that will be determined by every individual's uh, profile. Amazing. Amazing. Now, on that topic here, let's think of our our direction here. So we have that part. Let's transition a bit to passive investments because we, we spoke a bit on active, but as a passive investor, if say syndications, so we'll jump into that field. If, if there is a syndication, I think I want to invest in as a passive investor and 
I don't, I don't want to talk about investment side because you could do it, you know, as your IRA your for however you want to do it into that. But is there a point if I was going to invest in an LLC, I'd be safer to do this uh, in an LLC instead of my personal name? So with a syndication, uh, the syndication itself is already going to be an LLC. Um, is there some added value by holding your interest um, through an additional LLC? Um, there's always some marginal benefit, uh, but overall, um, not much benefit there because already is held in an LLC, um, and that LLC is a partnership. The Ideally, there are certain benefits. Let's go move over to talk about the outside, uh, the outside, the outside liability. So when it comes to outside liability, your key protection it comes from something called charging order protections. Uh, have you ever heard the term charging order? I have not. Please go into it. So the concept is is that when you've got outside liability, so say we've you've got your asset in an LLC. So there's a measure of protection there. If something happens with the property, they can't go after you personally uh, because the property is held in an LLC. But say you're involved in a auto accident and now they want to go after you and they want to, you know, they got a judgment. They want to satisfy that judgment with your assets. Well, you own a property. You may not own it directly, right? But you own the LLC, which owns the property. So they can, the LLC ownership interest itself is an asset, right? So they can foreclose on that. They can say, give us your LLC ownership. Well, of course they get the LLC ownership. They get all the assets that are in there. Huh. So they can, so the outside liability, uh, there's something called charging order protections. And what that refers to is, um, and it's provided by state LLC statute. And I can't emphasize that enough that, Asset protection is a local game. It is state-based. It is driven by state law, and every state's got its own laws. But uh, most states offer charging order protections, but not in all scenarios. But what a charging order says is that a creditor cannot foreclose on your LLC interest. They are limited to claiming, to collecting from your LLC distributions. So if the LLC makes a distribution to you, they can collect that from you. Um, they can be entitled to those distributions, but they're not entitled to take your LLC ownership. Um, so that, that provides a measure of protection for outside liability when it applies. And it can be really powerful because here's this really cool thing. An LLC is a pass-through entity, usually. Certainly, we know with real estate investments in most instances, um, unless you're flipping, then you may want it to be an S corporation, uh, which is also has a measure of uh, pass-through treatment. So whether or not your LLC makes a distribution, the tax implications flow through. So, right, if your LLC does make a distribution to you, um, you still put in your tax return every year on your Schedule C, uh, whatever the LLC income was. So if somebody has, has obtained a charging order on your LLC, right, so they get the implications of the pass-through. It's like they're getting that income. And they can be liable for taxes on that. But they cannot make any decisions for the LLC, so they can't direct the LLC to make, actually make a distribution. So they get no cash, but they have to pay taxes on it. 
that's what a charging order protection um, can, can give you. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Very interesting. So whether you are a general partner or a limited partner on a syndication, and for some way you go sideways somewhere along your process, the person or group who comes after you and, and gets a charge against you, they could not take the entire asset, but they could take your distributions as, as per your part of the investment. Is that how I'm That's right? exactly it. They can get the distribution, but yeah. that's only if there are distributions. They cannot force the LLC to actually make a distribution. So they're entitled to the distributions if they're provided, um, but they can't force you to make them. So they're kind of left holding the bag for taxes without getting any money. <laughs> that's a sideways approach. Very, very interesting there. What other, what other ninja tricks are, should we be aware with when, uh, when providing asset protection for larger syndications? So the thing to be aware of is when do you get a charging order protections? When would that apply? Uh, so in most instances, that applies uh, when there's a partnership in place. Uh, but the idea behind charging order protections uh, why, why, why would a state provide for that? And the, the underlying thought is that, hey, you may be liable and they're entitled to get to collect from you. However, there's no reason that should be able to impact the actual management of the LLC, uh, which may have multiple owners, right? There's no reason they should, the others should be guilty by association um, and therefore will limit them to a charging order. Because you've got this business plan in place, this business model, you and your partners, you've got something going. Uh, there's no reason why some third party should get a role in the business uh, because of an auto accident. So therefore, they'll limit it to a charging order. So if you're the sole owner of a business, of an LLC, most states will not offer charging order protections. Uh, because in that case, right, what just happens is uh, the creditor you know, the, whoever the plaintiff, he just becomes the new owner of the business. You're out, he's in, um, clean transition. There's no reason to provide charging order protections. But there are a number of states that do provide charging order protections, um, even for single member LLCs. Um, and that is, those are Wyoming, Nevada. So there is, that's where those states can come into play. Um, having an LLC in those states that explicitly provide for charging order protections um, even when there's a single member LLC. So if you're a partnership, there's generally no benefit to going to those states. Um, if you're a single member LLC, there is potential benefit. However, remember, if your asset is not in that state, uh, how will you actually fear in court is, is, is unpredictable. Um, so actually, so two things, right? And, and for everybody listening who, who is doing their own syndications, it, it leans to, to having partnerships, but it doesn't lean to doing bad actions. But if you, it's so <laughs> that if you get, get in a bind where some, you're involved in a car accident or something outlying that, that potentially um, was completely an accident, that it, you're, you're covered on your basis for certain liabilities that, that may transcend into your other business practices like a syndication. So um, I guess that's like a warm blanket to know the answer when you get there. Uh, hopefully it doesn't interact with anybody who's listening in uh, any of the syndications, but it's nice to know that that's supported as long as you right, have, have the right asset protection in place when you are doing these type of investments. So very interesting. Yeah, that, that we have not covered that on this show, which, which is uh, remarkable. In terms of 
the syndication process itself. Is there any, and again, this is not important, but when you have clients who come in or maybe you're doing a, um, between journal partners and limited partners, is there a certain asset protection type that you, you like to suggest for those clients? So it's, in, in general, anytime you're in these kind of things, you're going to be looking at multiple entities. Um, so you're going to be generally having, you're going to have the asset holding entity. Uh, you're going to have the management entity. Um, and then you definitely can layer in, you know, a few other entities in there uh, for either segregation of liabilities or tax optimization. Uh, but it will always vary based on the magnitude of the investment. It's really going to vary based on every, you know, every single deal um, and GP, you know, and the GP's overall tax profile. Um, but at a minimum, you're going to be looking at a management entity and the asset holding entity. Uh, but you can, you know, there's room for two to three other entities, uh, you know, based on the magnitude and the investor profile. Amazing. So let's transition here to a few of the short form questions as we wrap this up. Tell us a little more about how you help investors prepare themselves uh, for investing in certain vehicles. Yeah, so we're involved. We love being involved at the ground level. Uh, the moment somebody is thinking about investing, um, getting them positioned to do that in the optimal way, um, and I say it at very reasonable cost, uh, we advocate for keeping things simple and in a way that things can evolve with them um, and based on where they're located. So you'll very, unless somebody's in Texas, you're not going to hear Texas series LLC from us. Um, unless you're in a state with a land trust statute, you're not going to hear a land trust from us. Um, and these are all things that, um, and I've, I've had some debates out on bigger pockets with some people that hawk these things. Uh, but in general, it's a, if a state doesn't have a land trust statute, there's no way to know how any judge will treat that. If a state doesn't have a series LLC statute, we don't know how they're going to treat that. Um, should you be an S corporation? Um, well, we think that's an area that is S corporations in general um, are over promoted. Uh, CPAs, I'm a CPA, and yes, it's great. If you set up an S corporation, I get to do an 1120S for you. Uh, so we get an additional tax return, and it's a tax return that you can charge more for um, than your 1040. Um, although I, I'm not inclined, ironically, um, I do many 1040s. 1040s are individual tax returns, which are far more complex than any 1120S that you'll ever see. Uh, but there's this thing, business tax returns, you can charge more for. So CPAs love S corporations because they get an additional return that they can charge more for. They get payroll. Um, there's all sorts of compliance stuff that you need to get in place uh, if you have an S corporation. Uh, and we feel there are generally many reasons not to use S corporations. Um, so an S corporation may shield you for some payroll tax, uh, but there are lots of other gotchas um, and surprises that may be lurking. Uh, but of course they are appropriate. And you know, I'd say one of the things that I focus on a lot is QRPs. Are you familiar with QRPs? I am, yeah. So QRP stands for a qualified retirement plan. Anytime we do, um, and in the real estate space, um, you know what, I, if I could toss a question at you, what, what's a QRP? Um, so, <laughs> throw it out, but I did hear a gentleman speak about it when we were down at Jake and Gino's event. Uh, it, it's another way that you can invest in real estate through a qualified retirement plan. So, a, a different type of retirement plan that would be, I, let's say, 
contrasting from if I was going to, to invest as my self-directed IRA. It gives me another option to invest side by side. Each have different advantages and it's based on your, your retirement plan strategy. Okay. Um, is Not a great key- answer, but that's at least to the point. I knew it wasn't for me at that point. <laughs> that, that was what I took from it and then I, I put it away. All right. If I were to ask you, have you ever heard of uh, Checkbook 401k? Uh, same person has spoken the concept. Yes. Yeah, okay. Solo 401k. Right out to, to do at your point. Solo 1401k, same, same advice here. You can basically invest as you want using your 401k, be able to pr- predict your type of investments and not be predicated to whoever is running um, as the, not um, signatory, but as the advisor for the 401k. All right. If I were to ask you, is a, a solo for, what are the distinctions between a solo 401k and a QRP? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. But now you're gonna, I'm going to go back to the professional. <laughs> Okay. Um, so here's the surprising thing. That was a trick question. Sure. Uh, they're the same thing. Okay. The uh, QRP stands for Qualified Retirement Plan. And of course, technically, any type of qualified retirement plan can be used for real estate investing. And a qualified retirement plan refers to 401k plans, defined benefit plans, defined contribution plans, KEO plans, profit sharing plans. Those are all types of QRPs. In practice, um, anybody that's advocating using a QRP for real estate um, is using a solo 401k. Um, they're just different ways, different terminology to use. Now, they are distinct from self-directed IRAs. Uh, we offer both checkbook IRAs and checkbook 401ks, and we're very careful not to shoehorn anybody into a structure that doesn't work best for them. Um, so the QRP 401k is the preferred structure if you qualify for it. If you don't qualify for it, you don't want to touch it uh, because getting into something that's not a good fit um, it's just not a, you know, you don't want to go there. The tax implications are not good. Now, here's something really cool about QRPs. Your annual contribution limit to a QRP is technically, it can be close to $60,000 per year. So that's really powerful. You can get $60,000 tax deduction uh, from having a checkbook 401k, QRP, whatever you'd like to call it. Uh, but how can you maximize your tax deduction? Well, that will depend on how your entity is taxed. If you're taxed as a disregarded entity, meaning there's no S-corp election, well, then your annual contribution limit, your annual deduction is based on your total income. If you're an S-corporation, which means to say you've got to pay yourself a salary and issue yourself a W-2, your tax deduction is going to be based on the amount that you pay yourself on a W-2. Now, when you set up an S corporation, uh, the general reason you're going to do it, your CPA is going to say set up an S corporation is so that you can pay yourself as little as possible. That's the idea. Um, Now, the IRS knows about this game and they say you've got to pay yourself a reasonable, reasonable salary. But the idea is, and rather than taking everything as profit, that you take as portion of it as salary. And that thereby you save yourself payroll taxes. You save yourself what's called self-employment tax. And that so you're gonna look if you're gonna pay yourself, if you need an S corporation, your CPA is gonna say pay yourself as little as possible. Well, here's what happens. Here's one of those 
unintended consequences. And I'll bring up the contribution calculator um, that we've got on our website. That's at 401kcheckbook.com. And I'll just plug in a number. So say you're, um, you know, say you have a choice. You can take $40,000 as salary. Um, you, have, you make $40,000, let's bring the numbers up. You make $100,000 in your business. Um, you can take that $100,000 as a sole proprietor, pass-through, disregarded entity. Or you can pay yourself a salary of $35,000 and take the balance of sixty-five dollars as profit. Well, what's going to happen to your tax deduction? So if you're taxed as a sole proprietor and you're making $100,000, um, you can get about $40,000 in tax deductions using a checkbook 401k. If you switch to being an S corporation and you pay yourself $35,000, then your tax deduction drops down to about $27,000. So you lose um, about $13,000 in potential income tax deductions by being an S corporation. So there are so many moving parts and I get so many people say, okay, Bernard, I had my, you know, I know you focus on, you're a, you know, you're a checkbook 401k expert. Um, I'm having my entity set up by LegalZoom, by some internet guru. And they said I should have an S corporation and now I've got the S corporation and now I want to get all the tax deductions possible using a QRP. Um, and they also taught me that I can pay myself as little as possible and that's how I'm going to maximize the strategy. So I set myself up, I'm making $100,000 per year and I'm paying myself $15,000 in salary. Um, what's the highest deduction I can take? And I'm like, I don't know how to break this to you. If you would not have this structure in place, you can get uh, $40,000 in deductions. Right now, you can get about $10,000 in deductions. So there are so many moving parts and you need a centralized place to get you set up where they have the, this repository of expertise and all these areas to make sure you get all the moving parts addressed without any unintended adverse consequences. Well, this has been incredible. So th thank you for this. And uh, we've come up on time, but there's so many different ways we can go. We'd love to have you back in the future to talk maybe more about a specific opportunity. But in regards to anybody listening that would like to reach out and talk to you more in depth, uh, more particular to maybe their strategy or their case, what's the best way to connect with you? Uh, best way, first I'd say is visit 401kcheckbook.com or agentfinancial.com. So that's 401kcheckbook.com and agentfinancial.com. Uh, lots of information there. There's a scheduling link there. They can schedule a quick 15-minute introductory call just so we can talk, um, see what they've got going, uh, and kick things off. Amazing. Bernard, this has been incredible. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom on this. Uh, Jason, uh, great to be with you. So glad to be on the show, and I definitely love to be back. Definitely, definitely. Well, this is Jason with the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Very grateful to have Bernard on the show. Really gave us some awesome knowledge we haven't tackled on before. Thank you for listening. Thank you for everyone out there tuning in. We'll talk to you shortly. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation Podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies. 
to launch your new you in real estate.